0: I realized this morning, well, I realized already a few weeks ago when I thought of this sermon, that today is Thanksgiving Sunday, and and technically, as a pastor, I should today preach on Thanksgiving, but we're not going to. Not because we don't have much to be thankful for, but I want us to take and focus on something else that I believe needs to come through a heart of Thanksgiving. But the month of October, we are going to focus on the word missions. As you can see, the, the way the stage is decorated, we want to focus this month on, you know, what does it mean to do missions as a church? And in the next two weeks, we are going to have people come and they are going to speak to us and, uh, f- about different mission organizations that you can get involved in. And these will be people who have been in the mission field, people who have been involved in doing uh, missions all around the world. And I'm looking forward to having these different people come and share with us. And so you don't want to miss this. You want to make sure you come out and you want to hear what these people have to share with us. One of the things, though, when we use the word missions, I think sometimes it gets tossed around so much that we, we may wonder a little bit, what do we even mean with this word mission? We throw the word missional out there a lot, too, and we say, oh, we need to be a, a missional church or we need to be a mission-minded church. What do we mean by those things? The word mission means to be given a specific task or duty to accomplish. So if I would say to my wife Maria, I would say, Maria, could you go get me a, you know, a coffee? And she gets up and goes. She's on a mission. She's on a mission to go get a coffee, and when she has fulfilled that mission, she's done the mission. And so that's one of the definitions of the word mission. So when we use the word missions or missional in the church, what do we mean by that? So, the churchy definition, and the one that we often use in the the area of the church, is this. When we talk about missions within the church, we are talking about taking the message of Jesus to those who do not yet believe in Him. So if I would say to you, we need to be a missional church what we are saying is we need to be a church that is focused on taking the message of Jesus to those who do not yet have a relationship with Him. And if we are mission-minded, again, it means the same thing. So today, when you listen to me and when you hear me use the word mission, I'm not talking about a specific task or duty. I'm talking about taking the message of Jesus to those who do not have a relationship with Him. Now, when we think about missions, and if I would say to some of you, you need to go on a mission, you need to go on missions. Have you ever thought of doing missions? There are two key things that you will almost immediately think. And there will be two key ways that you will most likely process this question. Have you ever thought of doing missions? Most of us will immediately go to this area. And we will think about a location. And the first thing that we will think about is, where should I go? Should I go to China? Should I go to Fiji? Should I go to Iraq? Should I go to where? Should I go to Canada? Should I go to Leamington? Should I go to, you know, and we will work with this location. Where does God want me to go? So if I'm going to be missional, if I'm going to do missions, this is usually the very first thing that most of us think about and say, where then do I go and do missions? This is why if you go to Google and search missional organization, you will find 194 million results. Why? Because there are mission organizations that know that if you want to go on mission, most likely you need to be instructed as to where to go. I'm not saying anything bad about this. I'm just saying this is, again, where most people want to start and say, the first thing I need to know is where do I go? The second thing, so the first um, category is location. The second one that most of us go to is vocation. So if I go to Brazil, what should I do in Brazil? Should I be an accountant? And this is a pessimistic accountant, so we'll just make him a little bit more optimistic. Should I be a nurse? Should I be a doctor? Should I be a farmer? Should I be a teacher, a builder, a pilot, a preacher, an evangelist? what should i do when i get there what will my vocation be see if you search mission opportunities in google you will find 323 million results again mission organizations know that one of the questions we're going to wrestle with is how can i do missions what do i do when i show up in Papua new guinea and here's the cool thing there is not one trade in this room that cannot be used on the mission fields. If you are a doctor, which, come talk to me. If you are a doctor, if you are a dentist, if you are a plumber, if you are a farmer, if you are a construction worker, if you are a teacher, if you are, you name it, there is not one single trade in this room that some mission organization out there saying, we have a need for you. So it's missions is not just the preachers. Missions is not just the pastors. Missions is not just the evangelists because you can be a nurse and you will have people under your care that you would influence more than any pastor ever could from a stage. So some of you that are pursuing different careers and I say to you, have you ever thought of doing missions? Most likely The trade you're in, the career you're in can be used in some way to be used in the mission field. But the majority of us in this room will immediately say, if I would say to you, have you ever considered doing missions? You would say, yes, I've been thinking about going down to, you know, wherever, and I was thinking that maybe I could do this over there. These tend to be the two key ways in how we consider whether or not we want to get involved in missions. But here's the problem if this is the only two things that we use to try to decide whether or not we're going to do missions, we will run into problems. We will have um, a lack of something that we need desperately. And that is this. This question. How is your heart? How is your heart? Because like with anything else, if your heart is not in it, you will not get far. I know this church loves baseball. And I guarantee you, if you're on the baseball team and your heart is not in it, you will not even last a season. Because you will get called out, you will strike out, you will drop Balls that should have easily been caught. You will be out there in the spring when it's way too cold. You will be out there in the summer when it's way too hot. And you will not enjoy it. And if your heart is not in it, you're just going to kind of go through the motions at best. And at worst, you're going to say, there's just no reason for me to be out here. And you will not get far as a baseball player if your heart is not in it. And the same is true for missions. We can preach and we can talk about doing missions and you can say, oh, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go that place. I'm going to do this. If your heart is not in it, you will not get far. As a pastor, I can tell you the majority of what I do, the majority of what I do, all of you can do. I go drink coffee with people. I go to restaurants with people. I go visit people in the hospital. I preach sermons. I do Bible studies. The majority, if not all of you, could technically do that. And yet, one of the biggest things as a pastor you have to have is a pastoral heart. You have to love people and have a pastoral heart that says, I will care for people. So then what do we do, or how do we not only focus on these two things, but how do we then develop a mission's heart? How do we develop a heart that says, this is what I want to do, this is what I feel I'm supposed to do, and go from there, so that when we are in these either vocational areas or locational areas, when we are in these areas that we don't give up and that we can go far. I want to propose to us today, there are three things, key things, very simplistic though, that these three may help you understand and help you have and develop a mission's heart. The first one is this, you have to start with a proper perspective. You have to have a proper perspective. Now what do I mean by that? I think very often Christians look at the idea of sharing the message of Jesus Christ to people around us, and we look at it as some scorned obligation. Oh, I gotta go witness. A proper perspective says, look at what Jesus has done for me. Look at where I have been rescued from. It is a privilege for me to go and share the same good news with someone else. It is not only an obligation. Now, Jesus did tell us, go. We have been commanded to go. But when we have a proper perspective, we say, look at this, someone came to me, someone told me the message of Jesus Christ, and now, because they did this for me, I am so privileged to go and do this for someone else. What will keep you from having this proper perspective? Pride. It doesn't matter how much you know you've received, but if you are a proud person, You do not want to be rejected. You do not want to be verbally abused. You do not want the door slammed on you. You do not want to be talked about in a bad way. And so because you fear these things and because you are proud and because we allow pride to play a role in our lives so often, we will look at this and say, I know I need to go share with this person, but there is no way I'm getting rejected, and so we don't. A proper perspective says to us that we will go... And we will take the message of Jesus Christ to other people as a privilege. Romans chapter 10 verse 15, Paul says in the last part of that verse, he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It is a beautiful thing when people take the message of Jesus Christ and take it to people who do not know. So a proper perspective means that we see and recognize what Jesus has done for us. And then we go and we share that with others. The second thing we must do, or the second thing we must have, is we must have a God perspective. So we start with the proper perspective of ourselves, saying, I recognize that I have been saved. But then we start with a, the second one, is we have a God perspective. We recognize that we are not the only people that God loves. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Listen to these words. Listen to God's heart for people. Paul says here, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of this kingdom of the air. The Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful natures and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we by nature were objects of God's wrath. And here it is. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed by His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourself, it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do a God perspective of us is this what were we once we were dead in our transgressions we were dead in our sins what were we consumed with? We were consumed with gratifying our sinful nature and giving into its desires. And we were nature, by nature, needing the wrath of God. But what did God do? God loved us, and God gave us His Son. You see, if we have a God perspective, then we look at that individual at our workplace and we say, God loves this person. And we look at that individual in our neighborhood that drives us crazy and we say to ourselves, we have a God perspective that says, God loves this individual as much as he loves me. No matter where we go. We must have a God perspective that, shows, that says to us every person I rub shoulders with, every person I lay eyes on is loved by God as much as I am. Listen to what John says in 1 John 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And in case we missed it the first time, John goes much stronger at this in 1 John 4, verse 20. He says this, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And here's an interesting point. You guys remember in Luke, John is walking with Jesus. John and his disciples, I mean, not, Jesus and his disciples are walking, and they're going to this town, and they want to stay at that town. and It's a Samaritan town. And so they go over there, and they say, hey, could our... Teachers, stay with you. And they say no. And what do John and James do? They go over to Jesus and say, hey, can you, come here for a second. Can you give us permission to call down fire on this town and burn them down? Can you imagine an entire village destroyed? Jesus rebukes them. Clearly, John has come a long way. He's come a long way in recognizing that God is loves everyone if we want to have a mission heart we need to start with a proper perspective that sees that we were saved secondly we need to have a god perspective that shows god wants all people to be saved and then the last one which is probably the most simplistic of them all but will be the hardest and that is this you have to want it you have to want it this will not happen on its own a mission heart will not happen over the, overnight I remember when I started as a youth pastor here in this church in 1998. And I couldn't believe I got hired, and some of you couldn't believe I got hired as well. And they hired me, and they said, we are putting you in charge of the youth ministry. And I remember the first time I saw a picture of the entire group. You had gone camping at Point Pelee, And there was a picture of the whole group. And I remember just looking at this picture saying, what have I got myself into? You see, there's one little thing that most of you didn't know. I didn't like young people. I mean that. I would have been the youth pastor who would have been so happy to go somewhere and someone would have said to me, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a youth pastor. Oh, how many kids do you have? None. (laughs) And youth pastoring is so awesome. You guys are looking at me like, oh boy, we should have had more conversations, asked more questions. I remember, and this will go down probably in my life, as the most awkward visitation I ever had. There was this guy, okay, he is in the room, he gave me permission to share this. There is this individual, and he did not like me, and I was awkward, he was awkward, no offense buddy, you were just really awkward. Now you put me and him, awkward people together, it was extremely awkward, all the time. We could not look at each other. We could not talk. And then one of my youth leaders came up to me and said, hey, guess what? we went to this event. He said, guess what? This guy went forward. Now, I knew right away what that meant for me as a youth pastor. It is your responsibility. It is what you need to do. You need to go go talk to this guy. And I can't tell you where he lives because then you guys lived because then you guys will figure it out. But I went and picked him up as a three-minute drive from his place to Tim Hortons. Now, you guys are all, I'm not telling which Tim Hortons. I got that one on you. Three-minute drive to Tim Hortons. He didn't say a word to me. I paid for his coffee and his donut out of my own pocket. <laughs> Sat down. Awkward moment. Awkward moment. And finally I'm like, Ugh, we do, we're not having small talk here because number one, I'm not good at it and he even worse. So finally I just said, you know, okay, hey, I, I, the reason I picked you up and the reason I want to talk to you is because One of our youth leaders said to me that you went forward at this event. I'll never forget what happened next. He looked up at me and he made eye contact. First time, like, we've gone a long way. (laughs) He made eye contact with me and this is what he said. No, I didn't. Where do you go now? Yes, you did. One of my leaders told me you did. Yes, you did. Or you could go the other way. Why didn't you? I looked at this guy. I'm like, what do you do? 15 minutes later, I had him back in his driveway. Because there was nothing to talk about. I come home, and Maria's like, uh, was he not home? I'm like, oh, he was home. You guys not go out for coffee? I'm like, oh, yeah, we went for coffee. And here, here, it still is. I had to learn, I had to learn to want, to love young people. And I can say today, I have such a heart and love for young people. One of the things I pray, more than anything else, every single week at least, is God help me love your people. Help me love the people who come to this church. And before you get all offended, listen carefully to why I pray that prayer. Not because you are unlovable, but I pray that prayer because I can be so unloving. I pray that prayer all the time for you, not because you are unlovable as people, but I pray that prayer because I know that I can be so unloving. I wonder if some of you in this room need to say, God, give me a love for the guy next to me at my factory. Not because he's so unloving or she's so unloving, but because you are so unloving. Not because they are so unlovable, but because we can be so unloving. I want to switch gears a little bit. So we said, what what does it take to get a mission's heart, proper perspective, god perspective and we have to want it and now i just want to switch gears a little bit and do this and say what then does it take to do missions let's say there's some of you sitting in this room saying okay i'm going to do this i'm going to focus on having a proper perspective i'm going to focus on having a god perspective and i'm going to pray every single day god make me want this god help me want this help me love the people help me help me help me i want to love i want to love the people So how do we now go and do missions? Two things. There are those of us in this room. Number one, you will go. There are those who go. Okay? Andy Stanley in his book, Deep and Wide, he was talking about his dad, about being called to ministry. And so one day he's driving with his dad and he said this. One afternoon as my dad and I were driving somewhere, I asked him, Dad, does a person have to be called into ministry or can they just volunteer? He thought for a minute, I guess it's okay to just volunteer. So I told him that I I would like to volunteer. You see, some of you in this room will never hear a voice from God say, I want you to go there or there. I want you to do this or this. But there are some of you in this room and I know you. You have a burden and you want to go. I've seen this, especially lately, in the young adults ages 18 to 25 and so many of them have come up to me and said i just feel i need to go i need to do something i want to do this and you, they can vouch for me last year i looked at that group of young adults and i said here's what i want you to do i want you to stop wanting it i want you to stop talking about it and it's time to start doing it and a number of them have and a number of them are constantly wrestling with me saying how do we get this started Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, there are those of you in this room, you need to go. I'll tell you why you're unhappy at your workplace. Because you shouldn't be there. I'll tell you why you don't like certain things in this town. I'll tell you why you're always antsy. You're never satisfied. You don't know for sure what, you know, you're always wrestling with the question of what next, what next. And I believe for some of you that is a confirmation that God wants you somewhere going and proclaiming his name. So how do we do missions? Number one, some of you, those of, there are some of the, you who will go. And the second is this: those who stay. We will not all go. If we want to do missions, we need to have some that go, and then we need to have those who stay. However, if we stay, if we are those who stay, this does not relieve us of the need to reach the lost. Romans chapter 10, verse 15. Paul finishes his little section. He says, And how can they preach unless they are sent? We do not want people from this church just going on their own, and we look at them and say, oh, good rhythms, they're gone. Or yeah, we can now finally say, we have missionaries out in the field, or we have people out in this place. No, 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 we want to send them. Which means that if we send them, we take full responsibility of them. This will cost us financially. This will mean we will pray more. This will cost us when we are burdened by what they are burdened by. I would love in this church if one year at our budget meeting, our treasurer would stand up and say, we went way over budget and you will not believe where we went over budget. We went over budget on our mission line. Because we sent so many people, I don't know how we're going to pay for it. You would see me quietly applaud. Praise the Lord. If you have this image in your mind that if you never go, that you, our hands are somehow washed of the responsibility, no. Because if we send people, we take full ownership of sending them, and we make sure that they have what they need. Because if they are sacrificing in the field, then we will sacrifice at home. Now I'm getting to the nitty-gritty. So if you're a visitor, the next little part, I I mean this. You can just kind of say, this is not for me. I relieve you of that. You can just, "Ah," because this next little part is for us as the Leamington EMMC Church, especially for those of us who attend regularly and those of us who are members of this church. And I want you to listen carefully. As the Leamington EMMC, our regular attendance right now, on average, is 500 plus people. We have, we have peaked at just under 600 people. Am I bragging? Yes. I boast in the Lord. God's doing something here and people are coming. Praise the Lord. So here's my question for us as a church. How is it that a church this size does not have a full-time missionary from this church in the field right now? How is it that a church this size does not have a full-time missionary from this church in the field right now? And you can ask the staff, this question is burdening us. Now before we start making excuses and before we start pointing the finger at anybody or anything, I want us to just be troubled with this question. I want us to simply... Sit in this for a bit. And ask ourselves, how did we let this happen? This weekend we just came back from Atlanta. And I, was, I wanted to go to this restaurant. And so I'm standing at the street and there's two lanes of traffic going this way and two lanes of traffic going that way. And so these, you know, four lanes of traffic, technically, were standing between me and Chick-fil-A. Going to go to Chick-fil-A and have me some lunch. And I'm standing there, and I'm standing there, and as good looking as I am, no one stopped. They just, boom, some yell things, and sometimes, you know, a couple of girls, Woo! And I, stop, I just want to get across the streets, you know. And they just, zooming by. And I stood there, and I stood there, and all of a sudden I heard A voice do you want to cross? Well, duh. No, I'm just counting cars. Not doing a very good job of it. So I stood there and I stood there, but this voice all of a sudden says, do you want to cross? And I looked over and there was a female police officer. And I looked at her and said, yes. She did this. And I am not kidding you, almost instantly those cars came to a stop. They were doing probably 50 Miles an hour. She walked over to the other side and she did this, and that lanes of cars came to a complete stop, and I crossed four lanes of highway like a spoiled little schoolboy. <laughs> Feeling pretty good about it, too, and I figured, you guys have been making me wait. I am walking slow. <laughs> and then I got across the street and I started walking towards my destination. And God spoke to me and He said, Ike, that's what I can do in the church. The question is, do you want it? Because if you want it, I can make it all stop and you can accomplish what I have called you to do. So we're going to conclude today, and you need to wrestle with this, and we need to wrestle with this as a church. Are you ready to go? Are we ready to stay? Because they're not negotiable. We are either going or we are staying. But we must take the message of Jesus Christ to the world. Because if we don't do that, I'll tell you what we will become. We will become a church that is for church people. And that is not what we've been called to be. God has put us in this place at this time, to reach his people. The people he loves so much that he would send his son Jesus to die for them. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and here's what I want you to do. You're going to be awkward and I love being awkward and so I apologize on my behalf for you. We're going to say thank you. First off, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Jesus, thank you for saving me. So here's what I want you to do. And if you are awkward with this, I apologize. But you'll survive. We're going to stand. Stand up. And we're going to pray out loud. And I know it's Thanksgiving. You want to get out of here, so pray fast. Okay? And I want you to pray. And I want you to say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Start praying. Out loud. Come on. It's okay. Okay? You thank Jesus for saving you, for giving you salvation. I want you to thank Him for loving you in spite of your sin. Now I want you to do this. I want to ask you to pray and say, Jesus, give me a love. For the lost. If you have lost that, you ask him to give it back to you. Give me a love for the lost. We're gonna close with this song. We can throw the words on the screen. Wrote this song, Chris Tomlin wrote the song. It says, Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will go, I will follow. And I want us to sing that song, starting off as a prayer and saying, God, this is my prayer, that I will follow you. But then as we kind of finish up the song, I want us to start proclaiming this and saying, Jesus, this is my declaration. I will follow you no matter where you call me.